Amen. <clears throat> Amen, church. Um, man, it is so good just to hear you sing this morning. If you guys have a Bible, would you go ahead and open up to the book of Philippians? Uh, I am so excited. If you have not met uh, Michael Van Wardhuizen, I'm excited for you to meet him this morning, hear him. Uh, you've probably already heard him this morning. Uh, you may just not have known it was him yelling. Um, Michael gets really excited, um, and so I am just grateful uh, for him. Michael and I met five years ago. Uh, at a Sin Network gathering here in Iowa. Um, and Michael thought I was crazy when I told him that when he knew where God was going to send him to plant, that we'd be behind him. Um, and five years later, here we are, man. Um, you didn't believe me, but we, we showed up, right? Um, Michael and his family moved to Denver. Um, they are reaching a, a neighborhood. I don't want to steal his thunder. He's going to share some of that with you. Uh, but most importantly, this morning, he's going to open up the word for us. So, Michael, why don't you come up here? I want to pray over you, brother. Um, God, you are so good and gracious towards us. God, I'm so thankful for co-laborers in the gospel ministry. God, people who love you, who have not just recognized you as the cornerstone, uh, but God, as the cornerstone of their life building their foundation on you. Um, God, as we open the word this morning, God, would you um, just speak through Michael? I know that you have prepared his heart. Uh, I know that he is going to boldly proclaim the gospel this morning to your glory. Um, and Lord, may we hear it well uh, and respond to it as you lead us. Spirit, we love you, um, God, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Steve. Hey, thanks for grabbing my table. That's a servant at heart. Uh, so I have to apologize to everyone because you are getting the bottom of the barrel of the Van Wardhuizens today. Uh, I'm married to Allie, and I have three kids, Axel, Flora, and Francis, and they, sadly, are not here today. That's what I mean by bottom of the barrel, the bottom 20%. Um, it's, just, it's just the way it is, guys. I'm really sorry. Uh, but I think that we're going to have a good time together. Um, so yeah, a little bit about me, us, um, I probably haven't met most of you. Most of you probably, I mean, maybe you've seen me on pictures and when you guys do, uh, stuff rallying around missions and sending and all that stuff, but I'm just really grateful to be here. Um, Restoration Church, uh, plays a significant part in keeping me and my family steady. Like, I 100% mean that. It's been three years since we moved, which is just long enough that you start to realize who your real friends are. Um, that's kind of a joke. It's kind of cheeky. But it's actually kind of true also. And when Eric and his family have come to visit us, I make sure I tell them at least twice, if not five times, hey, you need to understand this actually matters. And I know you get it, but, like, you guys need to get it actually matters so much. I'm, I don't think anybody in my church understands it, all 12 or 20 of them, <laughs> for context. But to me and to my family, we're so grateful for Restoration Church. Um, we're so grateful for your support. We're so grateful for your prayers more than anything. Um, if you've even just whispered a word of prayer for us, we're so grateful. It's helped keep us in the fight. 
as we see people dropping like flies. So thank you. Um, all right, enough sappiness. Uh, so Allie and I, uh, I'm originally from Iowa. Allie's originally from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. We met in Cedar Falls, Iowa, where we did church and ministry, met Jesus, all this stuff. Uh, we got married there, started a family there. Like I said, we have three kids, Axel, Flora, Francis. They're uh, seven, five, and three. They're all in a local public school that's three blocks from our house, which is super fun. Um, like I said, we've been in Denver for three years. We're planting Capital City Church, and the whole time we're asking God, what does that even look like? What does that even mean? Um, and what do you want us to do? And if I could actually just summarize our journey for you of what it's looked like, it's I was on a walk to a local coffee shop a couple blocks from my house, and uh, what it's looked like to reach our neighborhood called the Baker neighborhood, which is roughly 6,000 people, which I think is roughly the size of Adele, which is just for context. I'm not bragging. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, that's an interesting thing. Like, I looked it up, like, yesterday. I was like, whoa, okay, interesting. Um, to reach our neighborhood, God said to me in just this prayer time one day, he says, Michael, I didn't just call you to plant a church. I called you to follow me. And if you follow me, we're going to plant a church. So that's what it is. I'm just following Jesus. The same thing that we're all called to. I'm just following Jesus. And you're partnering with me to help me and my family and our little crew of hooligans to follow Jesus in Denver. So um, we pursue bivocational work, which means we work in various enterprises and other things, coffee and otherwise. My wife is a business owner and a tattoo artist, so maybe that's not a problem because Eric's your pastor, but maybe God's still working on that in your hearts, and that's okay. I really saw, I saw this hilarious thing on Facebook, the, the, the most perfect place in the world, Facebook, and it was this image, and it was uh, a question over a, a, a mom with her son, and it said, do tattoos hurt people? And it says, it hurts the people who care about you. <laughs> so funny. I'm just trying to be myself here, guys. <laughs> so hopefully whatever I have to say about Jesus redeems that. That was not in my notes. <laughs> okay. Okay, so Philippians 3. Let me tell you a little story. A uh, number of years ago, before we lived in Colorado, I went out to visit Colorado. We tried to move there numerous times. We had friends who were there. We were trying to go to Denver Seminary there. And so one of our trips, we went out to go climbing and camping uh, and all that stuff. And it was like October 2017, and we were spending all day Clear Creek Canyon rock climbing. Spent all day on the crag, which is a fancy word for a vertical large rock. Um, and we had decided not only to climb that day, like all day, but then to go camping that night in another location west of Boulder. Um, this geography means nothing, but I'll make it make sense here in a second. Uh, so we packed all of our stuff, everything we needed, food, drink, uh, bear spray, whatever it was, and we went climbing, and at about 5 p.m. we wrapped up climbing, exhausted, we hadn't eaten since noon, and we were ready to go to our campsite. And what I was told is it was about a 30-minute drive, and then we'd be pretty much there, and then we'd do about a half a mile hike in, set up camp, and be there. So, you know, within an hour, we're going to be at our campsite. Um, so we set out, make a pit stop because, you know, we forgot a few things. We keep going and we keep going and we keep going. 
Uh, and we start to realize in our two separate cars, at least I start to realize, it's been about 30 minutes and we're not there yet. Um, what's going on here? So we get to Boulder and we make a pit stop and they say, okay, it's actually about 30 minutes now. And it's like, okay, so let's keep going. We keep going and we keep going. And if you've ever been on a trip like this where all of a sudden the time differential changes and you are hangry, uh, your mood starts to pivot because you're not really sure if you can trust the directions and the place that you're going. And the car starts to fill with something. The car starts to fill with something, a little bit of attitude, a little bit of a, a change, maybe a little bit of frustration, anger, maybe a little bitterness. But we just keep going. I'm optimistic by nature. So I'm like, okay, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. And we get to this town called Netherland, which is about 30 minutes from Boulder. And I'm like, guys, we have to stop. I'm so hungry. Let's go to Safeway. So we go to Safeway and we're just ravenous. So we find this big, huge loaf of pizza bread. And I know it's pizza bread because it saved me. And we snarf it down. And that, of course, elevates my blood sugar and thus my mood. And I walk out of Safeway with Allie to our friends, Jesse, JJ, and Kimmy, saying this to one another. They say, yeah, I think we're close. The Craigslist said that we have about 15 more miles to go and then we're going to take a right on and I just, I black out. Because I don't know if you caught that, but they said that the Craigslist ad said that our camping site was close by. Now, I don't know if you know much about Craigslist anymore, but it's not necessarily the most reliable source all the time, especially if you are trying to go camping somewhere. And so my red flags immediately go way up and my mood immediately plummets down because I'm thinking we're on a wild goose chase. We have no idea where we're going. And I'm immediately starting to say, Allie, your friends, not our friends, your friends have no idea what they're doing or where we're going or how we're supposed to get there but I hold it all in because I'm a good Christian. And we keep going. I've got cheesy bread to feel me, so we keep going. But my mood is poor. And frankly, I was just livid. I was a bear, I was a jerk, and the car ride just keeps getting worse and worse until we get to this beautiful little thing called a level B road. And you live in Iowa, you know what a level B road is, I'm assuming. You've experienced them, I've experienced them here, and I've experienced them there. And it has this wonderful sign that says, warning, all-wheel drive only. Now, luckily, guys, it's late summer. There's no snow yet. So I think I can handle this because I have a Chevy Cobalt. <laughs> also known as the new Cavalier, also known as a dumpster on wheels. That's too kind. It's a trash plastic trash can on wheels. No four-wheel drive, and we start going, and I'm following them because they have four-wheel drive, and we're about five minutes in, I hit a massive pothole, bust the wheel bearing, almost get stuck, barely escape, scraping away without breaking an axle. Like, this is dramatic, but true. And we give up our search because we can't find it. We literally can't find our campsite. We've been driving around for almost two hours at this point. We cannot find it. The sun has set. We don't know what to do. A piece of this puzzle that's crazy is our friend Josh was supposed to meet us and he's calling us every five minutes. Hey, where am I going? How do I get there? Where are you? And I'm like, dude, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where we're going. I don't know how to get there. I don't know, man. Like, what's going on here? 
and we turn around and we drive back to Denver. It was, well, it was wild. It's horrible. Now, why do I bring this up? Guys, as we look at Paul's letter to the Philippians, and in this chunk today, we see this crazy warning, this nice warning, actually. It's very kind that we'll look at in a second. Uh, but the reason I tell this story is because whether we heed the warning of Paul or that yellow sign on the level B road, um, it affects the answer to these three questions. So throw those three questions up for me there, Troutling. Where are we going? How are we getting there? And my favorite one is, what's the ride like along the way? Where are we going? How are we getting there? What's the ride like along the way? Philippians 3 says this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, would you open our hearts to your scriptures? Help us to hear you more than hear me, but speak, Lord. Make me a vessel. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. So, Amen. As we look at Philippians, Paul's been encouraging them pretty much a lot of this letter. I heard somebody once say that the Philippian church is probably Paul's favorite church. You guys are my favorite church. Um, he's saying, I'm so proud of you and your partnership. Keep it up. Keep going. Keep following Christ. Keep advancing. Keep being humble. Hold him as your example of humility. You've got Timothy and Epaphroditus to look at. Humility. Keep risking it all. And now finally we get this call to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. But let me remind you again of what I've said in the past. Look out. So my wife Allie pointed out to me one time, she says, when you get serious when you're talking with somebody, you say this thing, you say, here's the deal, man. Like that's you saying, I'm doubling down on this thing. Here's the deal, man. And I, I didn't even realize it. It's really funny. She like painted a picture and it's me saying, here's the deal, man. Uh, but this is Paul saying, here's the deal, men and women of God. Here's the deal. Look out. I've told you once and I'll tell you again. It's good for you to hear this. Look out. Look out for what? For who? He says, dogs, evildoers, and mutilators of the flesh. That means the circumcision. If you see that in your scriptures, pay attention to that. That's who we're talking about here. Dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. The crew of people that Christ, that claim Christ, but still demand upholding the law, specifically the circumcision of men. Meaning like in order to be a true Christian, you've got to go through this procedure. Specifically, or another name for them you could call them is neo-Pharisees. So not just the same old Pharisees, but the new Pharisees. And I've got this cool quote, throw that up there from Hugh Halter. It says this, 
I call them neo-Pharisees because it is just a new manifestation of a disease that has always plagued people of faith, religion. Religion is comprised of laying burdens on people's shoulders, hypocrisy and double standards, gracelessness towards sinners, high-minded judgmentalism, straining at gnats and swallowing camels, externalization of faith and religious ritual and not being pure in heart among other things. This is not new, it's old, and it's a little bit like having rotting out teeth from drinking too much Mountain Dew, and then you take those little plastic Halloween hillbilly teeth and plop them over top. Like, it's not actually doing anything. It's not actually taking care of any issue, and in fact, it looks more ridiculous than you realize. It's not the thing. To live this way, to, to adopt and say, let's do Jesus plus. It's not new. But let's look at scripture. What does this look like in, in scriptures? Um, we've got a little glimpse of it in our passage of Paul's warning, but what examples do we have? So Galatians 2 is a big story. The people of Philippi have probably heard this, possibly heard this. I don't know. Kind of depends on how you uh, go about reading the history of this, but they've probably heard this story, possibly, and Paul um, has definitely warned them before, so maybe it was the same warning, and he's repeating himself, but he says, look out. What's the story? Galatians 2 says this. When Cephas, Peter, our guy Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, these other guys, when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Paul looks at Peter, our boy Pete, who walked on the water towards Jesus. Our boy Pete, who did deny Jesus three times, but repented. Preached one sermon and saw 3,000 people come to know Jesus because the Holy Spirit was there in, in real form. Our boy Pete backs down to a bunch of neo-pharisaic thugs who want to cut every male to make them real Christians, to make them real followers of Jesus. And Paul says, mm -mm. no, that's not it. He says, how can you be set free from the law by Christ but then demand that others follow it, Peter? He doesn't, he doesn't question his salvation, but he says, how can you do this? You, don't even, you can't do it. They can't do it. And that, friends, is what it means to be a neo-Pharisee or just a Pharisee, also maybe known as a slave. It's one who demands more than what Christ does of others and of yourself. Demanding more than what Christ demands. In our text, it's circumcision. And ask yourself, like, just for a second, like, is that your experience? And I would maybe even challenge, like, is that your experience towards yourself? Rather than just getting mad at somebody else who's been a Pharisee towards you, maybe is that your experience towards yourself or towards others? 
if we keep going, we look at Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas are debating Another story, they're debating with some of these folks who say that unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. So Paul and Barnabas are appointed to go to Jerusalem and find out what's going on from the apostles. What do we do? Uh, And the Pharisees are there too, and they keep saying the same stuff. And Peter gets up. Peter, our boy Pete. Pete gets up, and he says, brothers, in Acts 15, 7 through 11, he says, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by the mouth, by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Jews and Gentiles, full of the Holy Spirit. No distinction, no hostility. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by circumcision. No, by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers through all history nor we ourselves have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. Later in the chapter, verses 27 through 29, it says this, after they went back with a letter and some comrades to tell them, it says this, we have therefore sent Judas and Silas who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these. In tandem with the Holy Spirit, they've decided this is what these Gentiles need to know, which were Gentiles. But specifically in this context, these Gentiles, they need to know this, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. And if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. That's it. We've got three things that have to do with food in the context of idol worship. Like let's not fraternize with demons is what they're basically saying in idol worship let's not look like we're worshiping with the, like in a pagan ritual and also sexual immorality which this is not a sermon on sexual immorality will eric handle that later i'm just a guest i don't have to <laughs> but he's this is a big one rooted in all of the scriptures all the way back to the creation so they're saying there's some cultural stuff here don't do that but also sexual morality, don't do that. And if you guys can handle that, you're going to do pretty well. That's it. Farewell. That's the burden. That's it. Not circumcision, not the hundreds of other laws, nothing, nothing new added on or tacked on. That's it. And what's interesting, I think this is really important for us to hear as, as people of God, is that Peter is present for both of those stories. And you can read online and you can read in commentaries and yet again, your pastors maybe have a better understanding of which came first here, which story was first, which influenced which, um, which Peter came first. But either way, whichever story happened, whether it's at the, in Jerusalem or when he came to Antioch and Paul had to rebuke him, we need to see something. And it's that there are, is grace for those of us who act like Pharisees. There is grace. There's so much grace for those of us who act like Pharisees, and I'm one of them. 
But the question still demand, is demanded of like, why would Peter do this? Like, why would he backtrack? He's seen so much stuff. And you could say the word sin and fallen and he's got heart issues and all this stuff. But let's, like, let's look at this thing in our passage today. Why would Peter do this? It's the same reason that Paul lists his reasons for having confidence in the flesh. Paul says in verses four to six, throw that up there. It says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He's got his reasons for confidence in the flesh. So did Peter. Paul's not saying that's where his confidence is coming from. He's saying, guys, like, this is a pretty good list and it's not enough to put confidence in it. So Peter kind of flip-flops like we do, like I do, because he's putting confidence in something called the flesh, putting confidence in what he can accomplish on his own. Paul probably did this too, just, just to make him a little bit more human. Because he had this long list, I have a suspicion that it was a challenge for him to not lean on his own stuff instead of leaning on Jesus. So this brings us back to our three questions. When we put confidence in our abilities, in our flesh, it's because we have believed something different about these questions of where are we going, how do we get there, and what's the ride like along the way. To simply answer them, when we're trusting in us, when I'm trusting in me, when I'm saying, okay, I've got this, where am I going? I don't know. I'm, I'm really not sure. I think I know. I've, I've got some ideas. And it maybe looks a little bit like your cartoon version of heaven where it's clouds and church all day. And in the words of my children, boring. <laughs> boring. But that's not even the worst of it, you know. But it's like the worst of it is, is that I'm not sure. If I'm trusting in me, like I really, can I be certain that, that there's, there's a destination in mind? Kind of like my road trip. It's like, can I really, do we really know, do we really know where we're going here? Are you sure? Um, and second question of how we're going to get there. Well, frankly, it's just me. Like I'm going to get me there. When I'm putting confidence in the flesh, that's what we're saying. It's like, I've got this. Uh, and the third question of what's the ride like going to be like along the way? Honestly, it's probably going to be full of criticism and anxiety, maybe some bitterness and anger. Because when we turn this vehicle into a machine of our own making, we're responsible for saving ourselves and that just breeds so much uncertainty. I mean, maybe, maybe that doesn't even sit with you yet because you're like, no, actually, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. But this, I probably share this little image in almost every single sermon because why not? But this guy, Zach Eswine, has this saying. He says, you can do anything for a while. You can do anything for a while. You jump off the roof of a building and you are flying for a while until you hit the ground. You can get there on your own, putting confidence in the flesh for a little bit. But what happens when it stops working? What happens when it stops working? 
And I really, it, I really want to emphasize this third question because what happens is you start to feel a little bit like you're driving the Rocky Mountains blindfolded. Like it's very scary. It's very difficult. It's actually impossible to do it correctly without dying. And it's a ride that is joyless, stressful, worrisome, anxious, full of rage, distrust, reactionary, lashing out, like barking at people around you. Like I'm a dad now, so I get that more than ever. Like I literally bark at my kids. What? So I, I, I want to I challenge you with this real quick. Take a second and internalize this. And then I'm going to wash you with grace and mercy. Don't worry. But if you really want to know what the answers are to this question, ask the person you love the most or the person that's closest to you, what's it like to be around me? Somebody asked me that question. (laughs) I didn't come up with this. What's it like to be around me? What's the ride like along the way? What's it like to be my husband? What's it like to be my daughter? What's it like to work with me? What's it like to serve with me on Sundays? What's it like to offer me feedback? What's it like to be around me? And if it's jumpy, judgmental, or joyless, like my ride from earlier, something's off. Confidence is in the wrong spot. And guys, that's just not how it's supposed to be. Paul says rejoice. Like that's not how it's supposed to be. Paul says, I've got this stuff to put my confidence in, but that's not it. So what is it? Verse three says this, we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We're the true circumcision. Jesus has marked our hearts, not just our flesh. And we worship not as carnal, fleshly beings, but we worship by the spirit of God who dwells in us. And we glory, we sing his praises all the way. We glory in Christ Jesus and we put no confidence in the flesh. So guys, our take home truth for today is that confident joy comes from confidence in Jesus. Not rocket science. I dare say you can get there on your own. Of course. Confident joy comes from confidence in Jesus. But I think that there's maybe some of us who just need to take a breath and say, I can have confidence? Like, I can be certain about this? That's too good to be true. Because I'm screwing this up every day. And Jesus says, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Because the gospel, where we put our faith in Jesus, receiving the love of God for us in his life, live for us in his death-killing death for us, in his resurrection power in us, we can know the answers to our three greatest questions. Before you throw it up, don't throw it up yet. Has anybody been to like old school Sunday school? 
like not cool church plant Sunday school where it's like, hey, we get to like ask open-ended questions and it's all about Jesus and the gospel and uh, all this like really deep, good stuff. Like old school stuff where uh, when in doubt, what's the answer to every single question in Sunday school? Jesus. Right. Okay, good job, class. So guess what? It's true today. You can figure this out on your own, but let's look at it again. Guess what's true of where we're going? Say it with me. Jesus, the name above every other name. The face of Jesus looking at you. Not just like he's around somewhere or he's even just in proximity, like I'm in proximity to you right now, but he's looking at you with a smile on his face. Psalm 1611 says this, in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. When it says in your presence there is fullness of joy, that word, if you get nerdy and TMI about it, has this connotation of looking at you with a smile more than it has like right here. It's like I am pleased with you like the Father said to Jesus. The The face of Jesus is where we're going. Not just his stuff, not just him being around, but we're going to be right there with him and we're gonna be just like him. How are we getting there? What's the answer? One, two, three. Jesus, the love of Jesus. This is the gospel. The love of Jesus for you. Romans 2, 4 says it's God's kindness leading us to repentance. It's not him saying do better. It's not him saying get your act together like I say to my kids too often. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance because you're not what you do. You are who you are loved by. And I think that specifically when we're talking about being a Pharisee, if I was praying this morning and, and I feel like that the word mercy is the word that we need to know. And this is something God's been teaching me, the difference between grace and mercy. And I hope I accurately depict this, but like mercy is like, it's like receiving, or grace is receiving Christ's righteousness. Like, oh man, the way forward. But mercy is this piece of like, I am forgiven. Like it's all gone. There's, there's no judgment. God's not mad at you, any, like at all. He's not mad at you. He likes you. The first time somebody told that to me, I thought they were a little bit off the rocker. So if you think that, that's okay. But he straight up likes you because of mercy. Like he doesn't hold it against you. The love of Jesus is so strong for you. He's gonna make sure you get to see him face to face because of mercy, grace, Yes, grace, grace and grace alone. We sang it and we'll sing it again. But do you know mercy? Because when we don't know mercy, we go back to being a Pharisee, asking more of ourselves and other people than what Jesus does. But when we know mercy, we say, okay, I can trust the spirit of God to take me there, take me there. And our third one, what's the ride gonna be like along the way? joy in Jesus. 
that car fills with joy. Like top 40 hits from when you were a teenager on the radio, joy, come on. You know, I didn't say Christian music from the 90s. I said top 40 hits. <laughs> What's the ride gonna be like along the way? He says in verse three again, worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, working away at the life and ministry we are given and filling the air with his praises is another way you could put it. Working away at the life and ministry we are given, filling the air with praises all throughout, all the way through it. Joy in Jesus, confidence, confident joy in Jesus. Confident joy comes from confidence in Jesus, right? That's it. Galatians 5 says this. I'm just trying to prove it to you. Like sit in it, wash in it a little bit more. Galatians 5, for slavery? No, for freedom, Christ has set us free. What a redundant statement. (laughs) I need it. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. He doesn't say, now you're a slave. He calls you friend. So like, uh, I'm gonna come back to Galatians. In our church, as any little silly church planner like Eric would do, we have words that we like to use because we think they're cool and they're helpful. I think that the easiest way, (laughs) the good way of saying that is they're helpful because they're portable. So when we talk about our identities, at one point we said we are a family of servant missionaries, which is 100% accurate. Scripture's all over that. And then one time I was on a silence and solitude retreat, which is a horrifying thing to do, and God said, no, 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 I want you to be identified as, although that's true and good, and Paul says it all the time, I want you to be my family, friends, and followers. Because there's a difference between being a servant and a friend in my heart. I'm just say that for me, from my heart. God says, no, I call you friends, not servants. I've laid my life down for you because you are my friend. And I don't just send you out as missionaries, but I've gone before you. So follow me into the fray. Nothing wrong with family servant missionaries. But he says, guys, you're not just servants, but you're friends. And you're not just missionaries, but you're following me. Come along. So for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision or any other righteous deed that we try to give ourselves a leg up with, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Faith, that beautiful gift, coming from this combo of mercy and grace that we need to grapple with both, that we receive from Jesus. We don't earn it. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Not circumcision or uncircumcision, not whether we follow the rules of don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do, which is one of the more sexist things you could say because you know that the dudes were doing it, not the girls. Right? I don't know any girls who do those things. I know plenty of dudes who do. But that's not the rubric. 
Faith working through love is what counts, not whether we act correctly by not swearing or working on Sundays or dressing correctly for church or being reverent during worship or even raising our hands in worship, whether you do or don't. It's not whether we watch scary movies or trick or treat or we avoid those things at all costs because it is spooky season and we do our trunk or treat. It's faith working through love, not whether we homeschool, public school, or private school. Not whether we have lots of kids or no kids. Not whether we are Republican or Democrat, Calvinist or Arminian, dispensationalist or amillennial, and I hope you don't know what any of those words means, complementarian or egalitarian, whatever it is, whether we speak in tongues or stay as far away from those people as we possibly can, that's not it. It's faith working through love. Don't add. Don't add, Michael. Don't add. It's not whether we keep our quiet times, tithe, serve on on Sunday, pray before our meals or otherwise. It's faith working through love because guys, we're headed towards the face of Jesus. What was the lyric in the song we sang? It's like our anchor holds within the veil. I've never thought about that line until today. Literally just like, and it's one of those anchors that like, or it's like the key thing when you pull it, it comes back. It's the anchor, comes right back to the holy place, to the presence of God, to the face of Jesus, by the love of Jesus. And if you follow him this way, if you will rejoice in the joy of Jesus the whole time. So as we finish, as we close this out, here's what I want you to do. And I hope that this is portable too. It's not heavy, it's not a new circumcision law, it's just one question. Throw that question up there for me if it's there. Ask God this. Today, before you go to sleep, when you wake up, before you go to work, as you're reading the scriptures, meditate and ask the Lord this, and I bet you he'll answer you. What do you want me to know and do today? It's all about Jesus. In church planting, it's not church planting. It's following Jesus. And being a tattoo artist like my wife, it's not about being a tattoo artist. It's about following Jesus. If you're an engineer, it's not about engineering. It's following Jesus. And you can have joy in it. No matter what. No matter what. Confident joy. So, before you do anything else, Before anybody else gets to say anything up here, don't cut them off, friends, whoever's going to come up and talk after me. Ask that question. What do you want me to know and do today?